So now, if you would please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, and this is our 30th message from the book of 1 Corinthians. And one of the things we've really learned as we've gone through this is uh, all about church problems, many different church problems, and how to deal with church problems. And one of the problems we've discussed with Corinth in great detail is the problem of immorality. This church was a very immoral church, and so Paul writes to them for one reason— to tell them what God expects from them in the, re- in the realm of moral character. And, of course, that's very important. So they had a problem with immorality. But the church also had other problems uh, because they were a very immoral group that might help us to understand just a little bit better why they have this next problem. And this is a problem of immaturity. And I would certainly think that if a person does not understand what God expects in the realm of his moral character that there is some basic things of misunderstanding from, from the teachings of the Word of God. So these are people that thought they were very wise. They thought they had everything figured out. They were very mature. But in fact, Paul wrote to them and said in that third chapter, I have to speak to you just like babies in Christ. So in this first part of chapter 12, uh, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, Paul introduces us here to the thought of spiritual gifts. And the church at Corinth was misusing the spiritual gifts that God had given. So Paul writes to them and tells them how to use them properly. You see, what God has done, he has given us supernatural abilities. And I don't mean that each of us, when we become a Christian, we become a superhero. That's not what I mean. We, we don't get strength like Samson, and we're not able to, to cause storms or to uh, shoot out flames like X-Men. We can't do that. Uh, But God has gifted us with certain abilities that we don't have naturally. And you won't have these gifts unless you're a born-again Christian. Today we're going to talk about some of the gifts that Paul lists here in 1 Corinthians 12. There are actually four different places of Scripture where the Bible talks about spiritual gifts. And we have a few of them listed here. And this is what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bible, please take that. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. Stand with me, please, as we read from God's Word. We're looking at verse number 7. 1 Corinthians 12, verse number 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. And that is the reason that we have spiritual gifts. They are for the good of the church. They're for the good of the individual. They are the good for the good of the world. And we're to use the spiritual gifts that God's given. And now Paul goes on and he lists some of these gifts starting with verse 8. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. That's a spiritual gift. To another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another discerning of spirits. To another, divers kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today and we talk about spiritual gifts, Lord, open our eyes and our understanding to this. And may you help us to realize the gifts that you've given us to be used in your service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In today's message, we're going to describe these spiritual gifts that Paul talks about. And uh, we're going to talk about the diversity of those gifts. But before we do that, I think we have to go back and and tie in together what we talked about in the last message. 
It's been two weeks since we talked about this, and so let's go back and let's kind of tie things together so we understand what Paul's talking about here. So first of all, we're going to discuss the meaning of spiritual gifts in Scripture. What is a spiritual gift? Now, I've already said that these are things that God gives supernaturally. You don't get this when you're born, so it's not like a talent that you get. Uh, Many people have natural talents. Our ladies who play the musical instruments, they have a great natural talent. But playing those instruments is not a supernatural gift. That's just something that you get when you're born. Uh, maybe, maybe God has given you that, uh, the ability to study that and learn it and to develop that gift. But that is not a supernatural gift. Brother Dalton stood up here just a moment ago and he was beautifully singing that song, People Need the Lord. He has a great singing voice. But that is a natural ability, and it's not a supernatural gift. Spiritual gifts are not natural abilities. Both believers and unbelievers have natural abilities. Elton John can play a musical instrument, several of them very well. He sings great, if you like Elton John. But he's kind of got that little funny thing going on, so that's not really what uh, a scriptural uh, believer is not like that. So... People like that, unbelievers can have gifts just like, or natural talents, just like, uh, just like a believer does. But this is something uh, that you get when you become a Christian. It's something that lies outside of your natural character. So you don't get it when you're born. You get it when you're born again. So you don't go looking for supernatural gifts in your next-door neighbor or the people at work, unless, of course, those people have to be Christians. Then also let me remind you that all Christians have at least one gift. Some of them have more than one, but at least, uh, or every Christian at least has one gift. There are 18 spiritual gifts that we can identify in Scripture, and no person has all of those gifts, but everybody has at least one of them. And the reason that God doesn't give everybody all of the spiritual gifts is because he blends these together throughout our congregation, throughout the membership of the church, so that every single member of the church is important to be here and to exercise your spiritual gift. And so when you aren't using the gift that God gave you, then you aren't being useful to the body of Christ. I want you to write this down so you can remember that this is on your lesson sheet. Every member is a minister, and so every member has a gift. I'm the pastor of the church, and I am a minister, but I'm not the only minister that we have here. All of us that are members of Berean Baptist Church, all of you are ministers, and so that means that each of you should do the particular job of ministry that God has given you to do. Not everybody has the gift of of preaching, and, and not everybody can do this, what I'm doing today, but God has given you a gift that's valuable and you need to use it in God's service. So let's go on here. Now we're going to talk about these different gifts that Paul lists in Scripture. Secondly, we have the multiple spiritual gifts for service. Here in verses 8 through 10, there are nine different spiritual gifts that Paul mentions. Now before we get into that, I want you to glance down at verse number 28 right quickly. In verse 28 he says, And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. That's also a list. But I want you to look at what he says right after this because Paul then asks seven questions. And the construction in the Greek language is such that the answer to these questions is automatically no. 
Each question is answered with a no. Look at verse 29. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And the answer is no, no, no. So as we go through these gifts, you don't worry if you don't have all of these gifts. And neither should you worry that you don't have perhaps one of the gifts that's mentioned in this particular list because you may not have any of the gifts that we're going to talk about today. Your gift might be found in another place of Scripture. Perhaps it's over in Romans 12 or in 1 Peter, another place where gifts are mentioned. So don't worry if you don't have these particular gifts. Several years ago when my father was still alive, uh, one, he owned an RV, and uh, one of the things he, he liked to do after, after he retired from the ministry, his health was such that he, that he really couldn't pastor a church any longer, but one of the things he really liked to do was to get in that RV and he would travel all over the United States and he just liked to see all the things that God has made. My mother didn't care very much about traveling. She would go with him, but she wasn't particularly impressed with all the natural wonders of the world. One year, my mom and dad decided to drive to the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon's 2,000 miles away from Kentucky. So they got in the car or they got in the RV pulling, or the truck and pulling that RV, and they drove all the way to the Grand Canyon, 2,000 miles away from Kentucky. When they got there, my mother would not get out of the truck. And she said, well, it's just a hole in the ground, and when you've seen one hole, you've seen them all. Obviously, the Grand Canyon is not just another hole in the ground. It's a pretty unique hole, wouldn't you, wouldn't you think so? And that's the way it is with spiritual gifts. We are gifted uniquely. We're different. And some of us in the church, when you look around, are really quite uncommon. And, and God has gifted us differently with spiritual gifts, and he wants us to use that gift. Spiritual gifts will generally fall into one of two categories. They are speaking gifts or they are serving gifts. When you become a member of some churches, the first thing that they want to do is they want to give you a spiritual gift test. They want to find out what your spiritual gift is. But let me just say that if anybody wants to give you a spiritual gift test, write down automatically, they have no idea what they're talking about. You cannot give a person a test to find out their spiritual gifts. There are diversities of gifts. There are varieties in these gifts. Some of these gifts will overlap into the area of another gift. It's impossible for us to understand even how all of the gifts are working together and how God does that. So the Holy Spirit distributes the gift, and there's no way that we're going to find out what that particular gift is simply by taking a test. And so the Holy Spirit will reveal to you what the gift is. So when I talk about spiritual gifts today, and as I give you a definition for each one of these gifts, I want you to understand that this is a general classification. And we may not be able to get down to exact specifics in every person how the gift works. So we're just looking at it generally. So let's look at the nine gifts that Paul talks about in verses 8 through 10. Stick with me because it's going to take us a while to get through all nine. I'm going to hurry as quickly as I can. The first one that he talks about is the gift of wisdom. Now, let me give you a, a short definition of wisdom. Wisdom is applying biblical truth to real-life situations. The Apostle Paul was somebody who had the gift of wisdom. You remember how he went back in chapter 10, and, and there in, in chapter 10, he pulled out a story from the Bible, and he talked about how that 
uh, there was this incident of the children of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness, and, and they began to complain against God. They argued with God. They didn't like Moses' leadership. They didn't like the food that God had given them. And, and, and Paul brings that out, and he shows them that that's a whole lot like the Christian life. And he began to apply uh, that story from the Old Testament to what the Corinthians were doing right then. So he used that as an example of salvation. He used it as an example of how Christian people today will often fall into sin and walk away from God. That's using the gift of wisdom. That's when you take something from the Bible and you're able to to take a story, you're able to take something there and begin to apply it to a real-life situation. Some people think that the gift of wisdom is common sense. Um, My father-in-law used to say about me, he sure has a lot of book sense, but he has absolutely no common sense. I hope that now I'm 39, I've got a lot of common sense now. But you see, common sense is something that unbelievers can have. Unbelievers have common sense, and believers can have common sense. But God's not talking about, Paul's not talking about common sense here. An unbeliever, though he may have much common sense, He'll never be able to take the Bible and understand how to apply the Scriptures to something that's going on in his life. He just does not understand that. The Bible says that all of us should pray for wisdom. But the wisdom he's talking about here is above the normal wisdom that God gives. This is a special gift. I think that pastors have the gift of wisdom. A pastor has to have the ability to study the Word of God and then to extract from that and other helps that he may use, commentaries and so forth, he is able to extract from that something that will help you to apply to your life, to use in your life, that that really helps you get through the Christian life. So the pastor has that special gift from God of taking the Bible and making proper applications. Now, I hope that's exactly what I'm doing right now. There's nothing that pleases a pastor anymore than to hear someone say, You know, I've read that scripture many, many times before, but I never saw it in the light that you explained it today. And that's what the gift of wisdom is. Some of you may have that gift, and I don't mean that it's the exclusive gift of pastors. Some of you may also have this gift, but it's not a natural ability. That's something that God has to give you. The next gift that he talks about is the gift of knowledge. Knowledge and wisdom are are two gifts that go hand in hand. Usually, we would say that knowledge comes first. And when you're talking about worldly wisdom, I would say that's probably true, that knowledge comes first before you get wisdom. I mean, we would never say that a person who's dumber than a box of rocks is a wise person. So in looking at worldly things, we say knowledge comes first, and then you get the wisdom how to deal with that knowledge. But I don't think it's that way in the spiritual world. In, in, in this realm, when we're talking about spiritual gifts, I think that you get the wisdom first, and then comes the knowledge. Because I believe that the knowledge here, it, it's talking about that this person who's been given this knowledge can see the Scriptures and see things in the Scriptures in ways that other people don't see. And I guess you could say it this way. God gives you wisdom to know how to use your knowledge. Now, a lot of people can learn things. You meet lots of people that learn facts and figures. They can pick up the Bible and memorize verses, and they got all that down, but they don't have the wisdom how to use that information. So God gives you the wisdom, and then along comes the knowledge, and you're able to apply what you've learned. 
So here's our definition for knowledge in, then. The ability to comprehend spiritual mysteries. In other words, what I'm saying, you can understand things that the natural mind doesn't understand. Now let me explain something to you. I, that, that's what I think the gift of knowledge is today. But in the New Testament times, I think the gift of knowledge was a little bit different. And that's because back then, they had the Old Testament scriptures. They had the Old Testament completed, but they didn't have the New Testament scriptures. That hadn't been finished writing. And so there were many things that are written in the Old Testament today that we understand because we have the New Testament that tells us what that's all about. But the people in the New Testament didn't have the advantage of having the entire Word of God written. So what God would do... He would give supernatural knowledge of things that people could know without actually having ever studied those things. So what God would do then, he would come and he would just put knowledge into your brain. It's like being able to build a nuclear reactor and not knowing anything at all about physics. Only here we're talking about the spiritual realm. I believe that's probably what God did with the Apostle Paul. I believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. But there are some things in Hebrews that people just didn't commonly understand. They didn't really understand how all of those Old Testament sacrifices related particularly to Jesus Christ and the work that he would do. You also read in the scriptures that, that in the book of Hebrews that Paul talks about the tabernacle. And he says that the tabernacle was patterned after something that's in heaven. How would Paul know that? I don't think there's any way he could know that unless God put that knowledge into his head. But God doesn't work that way today. Today we don't have any new revelations, and God's not just zapping people with knowledge. Today we have the written Word of God. All the Word of God is completed, so we don't need any more revelation. So what we learn in the knowledge of God's Word today is simply by studying God's Word. And God has gifted some people to do that in such a way that they, that they see things revealed in Scripture that other people don't see. I think that um, a person who has the gift of knowledge is someone who can skillfully use the Bible even though they may not have all the formal education that someone else might have. And you may wonder, why is it that, and we talked a little bit about in Sunday school today, but why is it that someone can go to a seminary and get 10 degrees after his name and yet knows nothing about the Bible? He comes out believing that God didn't even write the Bible. And and all kinds of strange things that come out of our seminaries today. Why is it that people can do that and they can go and learn and they never really come to the knowledge of the truth? It's because God hasn't given them the gift of this knowledge. Now, um, I'm not advocating this, but, but back in the 19th century... And I'm not, necessarily, I'm not necessarily saying this is the thing that we ought to do. But back in the 19th century, many Baptist preachers refused formal education in seminary. And the reason they did was because they thought that the Holy Spirit was well capable of teaching them everything that they need to know. Many of the things that you read in, in books that were written during the 19th century and before were written by men who are very godly, And they have some astounding things to reveal about Scripture, some very important things to reveal about Scripture. How are they able to do that? I think it's because God gave them the knowledge. You ever heard of people that are educated beyond their intelligence? That happens a lot of time in our seminaries today because people will go in there and they listen to professors that have all of this knowledge, 
but they do not believe in the infallible, inspired word of God. This is a totally different thing. God gives you with knowledge. So I don't think it's always best to look at a degree that comes after somebody's name, whether that degree is real or imagined. And in many cases in our fundamental churches, unfortunately, the degrees are very much imagined. And uh, you don't necessarily look at that. The thing that you look at is can that person reveal the truth? And as that truth is revealed, does it help people? Do people learn by it? And does God bless people through that? That's how you know when a person has a gift of knowledge. Now, the third gift that he talks about here is the gift of faith. Some of you may be scratching your head about this because I said in the beginning of the message that that don't worry if you don't have all the gifts that are in this list. And so you may not have the gift of faith. And you say, well, how is that possible? I mean, how is it possible to be a Christian, to be a believer in Jesus Christ and not have the gift of faith? Well, Paul's not talking about saving faith here. And he's not really talking about just the the average daily faith that you have in order to trust Christ for things that go on in your life. Every Christian has been given saving faith. And I do want to emphasize that that is a gift also that comes from God. That is a supernatural gift, but it's not the supernatural gift that Paul's talking about here. Every one of you have faith, if you're a Christian, to live for Jesus every day. So he's not talking about that either. This is a different kind of faith. This is a faith that goes above and beyond what's given to an ordinary Christian. And what I think he's talking about here is really the ability to trust God in impossible situations for impossible things. Now, there are many of us that we do trust God, and we trust God can do the impossible, but things happen in our lives, bad financial difficulties, uh, health issues, and so forth, and we have this problem, we don't know how to solve it, So we pray about it, we don't get the answer. So we just sit back and we say, God, I trust you, and God, you do what you're going to do, and I'll wait and see what the outcome is. You ought to do that. That's a good thing to do. But this faith is one that is so supernatural that it actually moves God. It actuates God. Now, don't misunderstand me, because I'm not saying that you can manipulate God And I'm not saying that you can push God's buttons to get him to do anything that you want him to do. But I'm saying that there is a faith, such faith that it gives you the ability to trust God so fully that God does the impossible. You remember when Jesus told the disciples, if you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, that you can say to this mountain here, be removed and move it to that place over there. Many times we look at that scripture and we say, well, Jesus is just using hyperbole there. And what he really means is that when you have a mountain of problems, that if you have a little bit of faith, God can turn a mountain of problems into molehills. But what if Jesus is really talking about moving a mountain from over there to over here? I actually think that's what he's saying. This is the ability to trust God in prayer and to pray so earnestly and so fervently that God actually does the impossible. We have an example in James chapter 5. James tells us that Elijah prayed so fervently that the windows of heaven were shut up for three and a half years that it didn't rain. That is a supernatural faith. I think Paul had this kind of supernatural faith. Remember when Paul was on his way to Rome as a prisoner and he was going to be tried before Caesar? They got into a terrible storm on the ship. And there they were on the sea 
And it was apparent that this ship is going to be totally broken apart. It's going to be dashed on the rocks and everybody will lose their lives. Paul went to God and he prayed. And the Bible says that God sent an angel to stand by Paul. And the angel said, this ship will be torn apart. It's going to be broken in pieces. But it said, not one single person on this ship will lose their life. And that's exactly what happened. You see, Paul prayed and God did the impossible. This is a supernatural faith that works in uncommon ways. I believe that there are some missionaries that have this kind of faith. Some of you may have heard the story about George Mueller, and there's lots of things that I could say about him, but he was a man who started orphanages in, the, in England in the 19th century. And George Mueller really had an uncommon faith. There's so many things that God did for him. They're just so out of the ordinary, you wouldn't even believe it. But let me relate this to you. When, when George Mueller started his orphanages, he had only 50 cents to his name. He never, he never broadcast the fact that he had a need. He never sent out prayer letters. He never sent any kind of communication to churches and told them, here's what I need. I want to start an orphanage. I need the money. George Mueller never shared his burden with anyone. George Mueller went to the Lord and he prayed about the money that he needed for these orphanages. Now today, we have one college that sends me, it seems like three fundraising letters every week. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But here is George Mueller, and he asked God and God alone to supply his need. And do you know that George Mueller received $7 million for his orphanages without ever telling a soul what he needed? When George Mueller died, he had five buildings that were made of solid granite, able to house 2,000 orphans. That is uncommon faith. Now, let's define it then. Faith... This faith is trusting God and moving God in impossible situations. Now, I said missionaries have this. Some of them do. You know, I know some missionaries that that never went out on deputation. They never went to different churches and told churches what they needed so they could raise the support to go to the mission field. I'm not criticizing that. That, that's a good thing to do for many people. And, and they, missionaries go out on deputation. They go into different churches. They preach, and they raise their support. But I know missionaries that have said, I am called to be a missionary, and I'm not waiting two years. I'm going right now. And I trust God to supply everything that I need on that mission field. That is an uncommon thing because there are not many Christians who live totally in the realm of faith. But this is what Paul is talking about. Now let's go on. We have a lot more to cover. The next one is the gift of healing. Notice here in verse number 9, the scripture says gifts of healing. And and that's in the plural. And, And so what that tells us is there's more diversity in this gift than we can even imagine. Most of you don't have any problem at all understanding what the gift of healing is. So let's get the definition out of the way. You know what it is. The ability to heal a sickness with a miracle and not medicine. The first thing we need to understand about healing is that this is a temporary sign gift. Some of the gifts that you find in the New Testament were temporary gifts. And what I mean is they were operative only in the first century. These were gifts that were used to to verify the apostolic message. They're gifts that are used to verify the word of God so that when the apostles did these certain things and performed these, these different healings, that that verified the message that they gave. Now, those gifts were temporary. 
Other gifts we still have today, and those things are for the edification of the church. But unfortunately, this is one of those gifts that is very sorely abused today. Most of you have heard about a healing campaign going on somewhere where somebody is out, uh, uh, faith healers out there, and, and they're, they're, they're healing people. Let me be as blunt as I possibly can with you. Those are almost always, without fail, money-making schemes. They don't have anything to do with the power of God. The first thing that you do with the faith healer is you ask him, why do you rent an auditorium? Come to town and rent an auditorium to heal people. Why do you do that? When you come to town, why don't you go to Santa Rosa Memorial Hospital? Why don't you go to Kaiser Hospital? There's all kinds of sick people there. You don't have to have the sick people come to you. You can go to them. And there's all these sick people in the hospital who have faith and they want to be healed. But did you ever hear about that? Did you ever hear of a faith healer who came to town and went to the hospital to heal people? I haven't. Neither have I heard doctors that, are, that have got a, a boycott against faith healers. I mean, they're losing all their business. They, they, can't, they don't have any patience anymore. They can't make a living. And so they're boycotting faith healers. You ever hear about that? That doesn't happen, does it? And that's because these faith healers don't have the ability to do what they say that they can do. Look at the Apostle Paul. Here is a man who had the gift of healing. But did you notice that as you read the New Testament that Paul used the gift of healing sparingly? He was only using it to verify his message. Paul was sick himself, but the Bible never says that Paul healed himself. One of his faithful companions and and workers in the ministry was a man by Epaphroditus. He was sick, couldn't even travel with Paul for a while. Paul never healed him. Instead, that man was healed through prayer. He prayed, and people prayed for him, and he was healed. Remember Timothy. Timothy's a young man who has a a stomach problem. Paul never healed him. What Paul told him to do, essentially, was take some medicine for that, and you'll get better. So Paul never healed him. So let me say to you, you don't need a faith healer. You don't need Benny Hinn. You don't need Oral Roberts. As a Christian, you only need to do one thing today, and that's pray. Ask other people to pray with you. Because I'm not saying that God doesn't heal. Most certainly God does heal. And there's, there's testimony in this building today that God heals. We definitely believe in that. But you don't need me to come and say anything over you. You don't need me to give you any hocus pocus and say any words about healing you. You don't need that. All you have to do is go to God and pray. You'll notice in the scriptures that none of the apostles ever asked for or did they ever receive any money for healing anyone. You'll notice that none of the apostles were rich and not one of them had an evangelistic association. We don't have that gift today. It's a temporary sign gift. So does God heal today? Absolutely God heals. But you need to pray and ask God for healing and he heals in his own time in his own way. Now let's go on. There's another one here. This is the gift of miracles. If you look at the word miracles, you'll find that it comes from the Greek word for power. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the scripture says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The word power there in Romans 1, 16 is the very same word for miracles that we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us, and here's the definition, miracles is the power to work in the spiritual world. This means that the ability to work outside the natural realm of man 
and work in the spiritual world. And let me say also, this was a temporary sign gift. In the beginning of the message, I said God does not have X-Men, so we can't control nature. We can't stop natural forces that are at work. So what is this kind of power? Well, we have things in the Bible that are talked about as miracles, and there are really three different periods. I'm not going to get into it much, but three different periods in the Bible where miracles were really operative. Jesus performed miracles. A miracle would be like I have a glass of water over here, and chemically, this water, that glass of water is H2O. But if I said to this glass of water, I want you to turn into pure, sweet grape juice, and I turned it into grape juice, that would be a miracle. And who did that? Jesus was able to do things like that. Jesus was able to change natural laws. He walked on water. You remember, he was able to take five loaves and two fishes, and he turned that into enough food to feed 5,000 people. Jesus could do such miracles that he could work with, with uh, the laws of nature itself. We don't have anything in Scripture whatever says that an apostle was able to do that. They didn't perform those kinds of miracles. And yet the Bible says that the apostles did miracles. One of the signs of apostleship is the ability to do miracles. So what does that mean when it says miracles? Well, it, the way to understand it better is to look at the translation of the word miracles as it comes from the word power. And so this is the ability then to work in the spiritual world. So what did the apostles do in working in the spiritual world? In Acts chapter 9, there is a, a story about how Peter raised a woman from the dead. That's working in the spiritual world. What he was able to do and what God gave him the ability to do was to call a person whose spirit had left their body to call that spirit back into the body to reanimate the body and that person comes alive again. That's working in the spiritual world. Also, the apostles were able to cast out demons. That's working in the spiritual world. Now, you and I today, I don't care how many times that you watch The Exorcist, you are not going to learn a formula for casting out a demon. We can't do it because we can't work in the spiritual world. The apostles did this in their day to authenticate their apostleship. That was to say, this came from God. So those are temporary sign gifts. We don't have that today. So when the televangelist comes on and he says, are you ready for your miracle? He doesn't know what he's doing because we, don't, we can't do those things today. Not those kinds of miracles. So that is Satan talking. He counterfeits the things of God. Now the next one, the next gift that we have is the gift of prophecy. What is prophecy? Most of the time when we think of prophecy, we think of telling fortunes, palm readers, somebody who's able to interpret horoscopes, something like that, being able to tell the future. But in the New Testament, rarely do we find the word prophecy used in that way. It's not talking about foretelling the future. Everybody here has the ability to tell the future in one way. You know how? You can read the Bible. All of us know some prophecy. We can turn to Revelation, chapter, uh, Revelation and we can read there a lot of prophecies, things that are going to happen in the future, but that's the only revelation that we have. So what is he talking about when he says prophecy? Well, here, prophecy is the proclaiming of God's word. If you want to write out beside that, you can put preaching. To some, God has given the gift of preaching. Not everybody has the gift of preaching. 
Now, at our home, as I told you before, we only have one preacher. And I tell my wife, we only have one preacher. And she does enough preaching for both of us. So there's only one at home. I'm sorry if you disagree with me on this, but I believe that prophecy, preaching, is the most significant spiritual gift in the church today. You may think that you can do without preaching, but you can't. And that's because preaching is declaring or proclaiming God's word. And nothing is more important than telling God's word because it's God's word. I mean, what could be more important than hearing what God has to say? So this is a gift that God gives. But because you stand in a pulpit, that does not make you a preacher. There are a lot of people that are in pulpits today, and they are definitely not preaching the Word of God. And I think we know what they're preaching. It doesn't come from God. So you can't say just because you get behind a pulpit that you have the gift of preaching. So prophesying, preaching, that's proclaiming the Word of God. And we're going to talk more about it when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's go on because we need to finish. The gift of discernment. Verse number 10, Paul says, To another, the discerning of spirits. Let me give you a good definition for it. Discernment is the ability to spot a false prophet a mile away. This is when you can tell if somebody is giving the truth from God's word or if that person is just blowing smoke. Some of you have the gift of discernment in measure. Let me tell you how it works. Let's suppose you're driving to work one day and you're listening to the radio. And some of you may listen to the Christian radio station. And uh, I don't listen to the radio very much. I listen to one program on Sunday morning for about 10 minutes that it takes me to get to church. I don't really highly recommend that you listen to Christian radio. And one of the reasons is there is so much bad there that you have to wade through. It's like a sewer trying to get to what's right. But some of you, you're listening to the radio and you hear somebody preaching on the radio, and you think, you know something, that sounds pretty good. That sounds right on. But you listen just a little bit longer, a couple minutes more, and all of a sudden something hits you and says, that's not right. There's something wrong with that. Well, many of you have the gift of discernment in a measure. Now, a person who doesn't have any discernment, he, he swallows everything he hears on the radio, hook, line, and sinker. He believes it all. doesn't matter. If a preacher said it, he believes that. The Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses count on this, that there are a lot of people who have absolutely no discernment. And so they believe everything that they're told. doesn't matter what it is. They believe it because it came from a preacher. Well, you don't have the ability, or people do not have the ability that aren't saved, to have natural discernment about spiritual things. In fact, Paul addressed this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said that natural people do not have discernment of the Spirit. He said, For the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So everyday people out there without Jesus, they have no natural discernment, and that's why they believe all these things. Well, if you're saved, you're a Christian, you can understand spiritual things. But what I'm talking about here goes beyond just that ability to understand spiritual things. Because as I'm preaching to you today, you can understand what I'm saying when things are very clearly understood. And, and all of you have that gift if you're a Christian. But there are some people that it only takes about a split second, just a half second, to know that a person is a phony. Some false teachers are so good that they deceive Bible-believing Christians. Paul warned about it. 
John warned about it. Peter warned about it. Jude warned about it. False teachers are so good at what they do that they can turn around and mix up, mix up Christians. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. When God gives the gift of discernment, you can hear these things and you know immediately that they're wrong. You spot that religious liar and then you're able to warn other people that that person is not telling the truth. Sometimes it happens in the church. People come in with heresies. Jude talks about that. He said that sometimes people creep into the church and people who have discernment can spot when somebody is preaching a heresy and they go to the other people and say, you ought not to listen to that. That's wrong. That person is not telling the truth. And that's one of the ways that God preserves the truth in his church because he gives this discernment. All false teaching can be evaluated by the scriptures. That's how you find out if it's real in normal cases. The Bereans in Acts chapter 17, the Bible says about them that they searched the scriptures to find out if the things that Paul said were true. So you can take the Bible and you can understand very clearly if something is false or not by comparing it to the scripture. But when it comes to a false spirit that infiltrates, that might be a different matter because that can be, more, can be harder to detect. For instance, when you see people like these faith healers, and when you see people that are speaking in tongues, that there are many Christians that automatically think because it's supernatural, it must be from the Holy Spirit. That's where you're wrong. And somebody who has the gift of discernment can tell when that person is not telling the truth and it doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. So when you have the gift of discernment, you're able to spot when the work is from the Holy Spirit. Now, many Christians have a taste of the gift but they don't have the gift of in its entirety, and that's why you have many Christians that stay in false churches where the truth is not taught because they don't have this full gift of discernment. Now, we're almost done. Let's, let's go on. The next one is the gift of speaking in tongues, and this is the gift that causes so much confusion today. The charismatic movement is one of the fastest-growing uh, move, movements in the world today. When you go into third world countries, well, maybe Brazil is no longer considered a third world country, but in places like that, uh, many of the mainline denominations have been taken over by the charismatic movement. Brother Steve Cerna just wrote us a letter uh, this week about his mission work, and he said that uh, the, the charismatic movement is moving in and making inroads there, and, and, and a lot of the denominations have been taken over by that. Well, Paul spends more time on the gift of tongues than he does any other gift. And I think the reason that he does is because this is the one that is so abused. When we get to the end of chapter 13 and also in chapter 14, we're going to talk a lot about speaking in tongues, and I'm going to show you why speaking in tongues is not for today. But let's define it this way anyway. Speaking in tongues is the ability to speak in a foreign language that you have not learned. That definition is very important because people are also confused about what speaking in tongues actually is. Speaking in tongues is not talking in an unknown language that nobody ever heard of. In the Bible, when they spoke in an unknown tongue, it meant a language that they haven't learned. And so somewhere, somewhere on the earth, somebody was speaking that language that they were using. So, we're going to get to it more, but keep, but keep it in your mind. 
as we get into chapters 13 and 14, and we're going to show you that this also is a temporary sign gift. It doesn't operate in the church today, and neither do people who practice it today even do what they were doing in the New Testament. Now, the last one is the gift of the interpretation of tongues. Obviously, if we're going to talk more about tongues in chapter 13 and 14, then we're going to explain the gift of speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. So that means we're going to have to wait until then to really understand this completely. But what is interpretation of tongues? Well, match it up to what I've just said, and you come up with this definition. The ability to translate a foreign language that you have not learned. Now, this should be self-evident then, that if the gift of tongues is temporary, then the gift of interpretation of tongues is also temporary. You don't have one without the other. So why did they have these sign gifts? Let's go through that again. They did that to validate the apostolic message. And one of the things that you'll find out, if you know anything at all about church history, for 1,800 years, there was virtually no instance of anyone speaking in tongues like they do today. That got started in the early 20th century, and it was wrong then, and it's still wrong today. So let's sum up the message. The gifts that Paul mentions here are ones, uh, some of these are still operative. And the ones that are operative, these are the gifts that you are to use, and these are gifts that God expects you to identify and make that your ministry. Now, notice here verse number 11. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. That tells us that these gifts are given by God. They're not gifts that you go seeking. God doesn't let you ask for the gift that you want because invariably you would ask for the wrong gift and you would use it for the wrong purpose. And so God distributes the gift himself. You don't go asking. You don't go praying for a particular gift. God will reveal that to you. One last statement for your message, for your listening sheet today. One last statement. Some gifts are general commands. Sometimes we use the same terminology for a gift that all Christians have and also for a supernatural gift. For instance, as a Christian, you can't say, well, I don't have the gift of faith. Well, every Christian ought to have the gift of faith. I mean, you trust God in impossible situations. Whether you're able to do what Paul did or what Elijah did, that's another question. But you still trust God in impossible situations. You can't say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Well, there is a special gift of evangelism, and some are better than others, but all of us are to be witnesses for Christ. Don't say that I don't have the gift of giving. Let somebody else give. There is also a supernatural gift of giving. But every Christian is commanded to give and to give cheerfully. See, here's what will happen. One of these days, all of us as Christians, we are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and one of the things that we'll be judged by is what did you do with your spiritual gift? What did you do with what God gave you? There's a parable that Jesus tells about the talents, and it's far more than being just about money. It's being, it means taking what God gives in whatever measure that God gives it and using that to the best of your ability. So the question for all of us today, how are you using your spiritual gift? What is it that God has given you and are you a Christian that's using that spiritual gift in your church for the edification of the church, for the, your own good, and also for the good of the world? That's what spiritual gifts are for. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, I just ask you, Lord, that you would help every person here, every Christian here, to understand in a better way what you would have them to do. Every Christian should be praying and asking, reveal my gift to me. Show me what you want me to do. Many in the church are, of course, using their gifts, and we thank you for that because that's what we need to do. Lord, I pray if there's somebody here today who's not a Christian, they haven't trusted you as Savior, they don't need to worry about spiritual gifts because they can't have them until they trust you as Savior. So I pray, Lord, that you would open their hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and may they trust you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's bless